0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, onto this week's message. One concept I've learned over the last couple of years that I think has been pretty useful to think about is the concept of impact bias. I've talked about it from the stage before, but I want to remind you of it. Impact bias is our tendency to overestimate the length or intensity of future feeling states. So we, this is our tendency to think something's going to be better than it actually is, or maybe to think something's going to be worse than it actually is. So you've experienced this a lot. You order a dessert and you think it's going to be a 10. And it's like a 6 at best. But you thought it was going to be a 10, right? You, 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 you went and saw this movie because people said it was amazing and you think it's going to be amazing. And it was pretty good, you know? But you just overestimated. You're like, actually, it wasn't that great. I thought it was going to be this. It was this, you know? We, we do this all the time with all sorts of things. We do it with with food, with sex, with, with, with uh, vacation, uh, all these things that we think this will be a 10 and it's like a 7, this will be an 8 and it's actually like a 4. We do that all the time. And we do it uh, on the negative side with things that we think are going to be terrible. Oh, no, I can't do that. That is going to be the worst thing ever. And it's not the worst thing ever, right? It's less than that. It's not great, but it's not the worst thing ever. Oh, this is going to be the worst to spend that day with my so-and-so person. And it, and it, was, it was not bad. It was okay. It wasn't great, but right. We we do this all the time. It's called impact bias. We we don't accurately assess. And and I and I was wondering, like, why are we so prone to do this? Why why do we uh, uh, underestimate or overestimate how something's going to feel to us? And I think part of it has to do with advertising. Advertising, especially this time of year, really tries to sell us on something and really like. Raises our expectations around something, right? And it's like, oh, you get this, and it's gonna feel amazing. You're gonna feel the magic of Christmas and the warmth and the bow, and it's gonna wrap inside you, and it's gonna be a hug and ho, ho, ho. And it's just, it's all this thing, and you're like, oh, yes, it's gonna be incredible. And then it just, it kind of isn't. And it, it, we do this all the time. Think about, um, think about like a candy bar, like um, Snickers. What do you know about Snickers? What does it do for you? Satisfies you. How do we know that? Oh, they told us. They told us that. That's what it does. Oh, because I've had Snickers before. Have you? Did they satisfy? I, I would. Not, that's not the word I would use. No, no, f- fake news. Fake news. I would. That's not the word I would use to describe it. I fatten you. Um, Take the edge off maybe of a little, but not satisfy. And, and, and when, I've, when I've seen the, the options of food, I've fallen victim to this. I, you know, maybe I'm like playing golf and you go to the clubhouse and you go in there and you're like, I need to get something at the turn, you know, I want to get something to eat. And they have these terrible food up there for you. And it's like, oh, they have Snickers. That'll satisfy me. That's what I think. It won't. And I know this because it didn't do it the last time I had it. But I just, is impact bias. I just go, that's going to be a 10, and it's like a, a 6, right? And, 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 and I think there's something about advertising that does that, and I think there's also something about the price point that does that. Oh, this is a very expensive thing. It must be amazing. These concert tickets cost this much. It's going to be that much of an experience, but it usually isn't, right? Um, people can tell me, they're like, oh, Chris, you should drink this wine. It's a it's $100 bottle of wine. I will not enjoy that. I promise you, I will not enjoy that like nine times more than a $10 bottle of wine. I just won't. I'm just not that discerning with wine. I'll be like, ah, it's pretty good, I guess. If you tell me that's $100, okay. Like, I don't, I, I don't know. But, but we're trying to sit, set these expectations, and there's impact bias where we believe things that don't really uh, quite line up with reality. And I think that happens a lot at Christmas. We, we want Christmas to be a thing. And we have this anticipation and this buildup and we expect the season and the, the, the day of Christmas and Christmas Eve and we expect there to be love in the air and magic and bows and all of the things and the presence and, and the, the people and the feeling and the eggnog and all of the things put all together and we expect it to be a 10 and often it's, it's an 8, it's a 7, it was, it was good, it wasn't amazing but it was good, you know, and, and, and so I want to... Talk about that as we're in this, we're kind of getting into the thick of the season of that. And I want to talk about maybe a way that we could reframe Christmas and think about it a little more in its original context. And and by doing that, I want to I don't want to lower expectations, but I'd like to right-size them and and, and maybe help us all to, to, to go, okay, what is this actually about? And 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 get our expectations right around what we're trying to do here. And and to do that. We'll kind of do it in two parts over the next two weeks. Uh, today, I want to talk about a way to, to, to disengage a little bit from the typical narrative of Christmas, and then next week, I'll talk about a way to reengage around a, a, a different take on this. Um, so let's look at some frat- strategies to sort of reframe Christmas for us. And to do that, I want to, I want to take you to uh, Matthew chapter 2. The, 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 the story of Jesus, uh, his birth, is written about in Matthew and, and Luke in the New Testament, particularly in the first couple chapters there. And in Matthew 2, we uh, hear about somebody who's just awful in, in, the, in the Christmas narrative. Um, we read about him, and I want to give you a little background on him, on him here in a second. But Jesus is born, and right after he's born, this happens. Matthew 2, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. The Christ is the the Greek word for Messiah, which is the the Savior. Where is the Savior, king, person supposed to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and, worshiping him, and worship him. All right. I want to talk about Herod today. I was I was you know I was talking to the elders this morning and I was like uh, they're like what are you what are you speaking about today? I was like oh you know Herod this kind of the, just Herod and Jesus, of course, but Herod. You know, the, like we need to have a little conversation about Herod because I think he sort of looms large in the in the Christmas narrative, and we need to understand who he was. King Herod is made king of Judea when the Romans take over. They come and invade Israel. That that Judea, that region, has been invaded many times over the millennia, and most recently by Rome. Rome takes over the, as part of the Pax Romana. This peaceful period of time where the Roman Empire rules just about you know, everything around the Mediterranean. They rule Judea and they install local leaders. Well, this guy Herod kind of cozies up to the Romans and they, they allow him to be the king of Judea. It's a very impressive title. He gets to rule over. The Romans don't care a whole lot about Judea in, in the scope of the Mediterranean and the world that, the, that Rome rules. Judea Israel, that area is unimpressive it 's a sort of a little backwoods kind of area, like oh, that little corner of the empire, whatever this guy named Herod, he wants to rule there, so Herod becomes the king of Judea, king over that whole region, under of course Caesar and those folks in Rome um, and 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 he 's an awful, awful person, um, and and you get a little glimpse of it in this story because later in the story, when he finds out that Jesus in Bethlehem. uh, He sends his people there to kill all of the children under age two in Bethlehem, in in hopes of killing Jesus off. This this rival king. That was not a new thing for Herod. Herod was, um, as many people who are in the highest levels of leadership can be. Herod was very insecure. And he was threatened as king by almost anyone. So people who would be successors to his throne were threatened to him. him. He had three of his own sons killed because they were going to take the throne from him. He had his mother-in-law killed. He had uh, some of his siblings killed. He had many of his key advisors killed. He just had people killed when uh, he felt like his power was being threatened. And so he's just a, a, a really a terrible guy, and so he's so threatened that in this story he will go and send people to, Jerusalem, to Bethlehem um, to kill everybody, every kid under the age of two. And he was so unliked by the people as he ruled over uh, Judea. He was so unliked that um, he actually set it up that um, when, he, when he knew he was going to die, he was getting close to his death, he, he had the religious priests and 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 leaders, um, rabbis and stuff he had them uh, imprisoned, he grabbed a bunch of them, had them imprisoned, and his order was that on the day he dies, when Herod would die, he wanted all of them taken out of prison and slaughtered, so that there would actually be mourning in Israel on the day of his death that was his, that was his his big plan, and so he 's um, He's awful. He's not a guy you wanted as a son-in-law. I guess you had him as a son-in-law. You weren't going to live long. Um, but he's not, he's not someone you wanted to be around. But he, he ruled, and he was, he was, a, he was a terrible uh, a, a leader. But here's the thing. If you had seen Herod in that day, or if you'd lived in the, in the culture, you may have hated him for all those kind of things. But there was something very impressive about him. There was something very powerful um he 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 helped israel that area to do well economically um they the the economy was was fairly strong at the time um he brought a lot of government money in he built impressive things uh, colosseums and 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 different things large public works and structures that were impressive in fact um he had a a palace that he would live at, live at uh and it was it named after him Herod it was called the Herodian i'll put a picture of it up on the screen this is modern day okay so the Herodian was built on a hill near bethlehem outside of jerusalem um if you'll notice the hill looks does it look slightly man-made to you like it doesn't quite look natural there's a reason for that it is slightly man-made it was a high hill but Herod being Herod wanted it higher so he got some slaves, and they carried dirt up there, and they built up the hill to make it bigger so that when he put his palace on the top of it, it would be just way up there for everybody to see. And so that's what he had. He used slave labor, built this, this on top of this hill. He built this, this palace up there. And near that hill, off in the distance, is a little town of Bethlehem, this little town about the size of Kerrytown, basically. Um, and And in that place, in that little village, God shows up on earth in the form of baby Jesus, it, amidst the smell of oxen 's breath and cow dung and all that in the in the bottom of, of, of a home, um, God shows up there and it says in verse three, as we just read after Jesus was born, it says that Herod was very disturbed, um, he's greatly annoyed. He's greatly threatened by the idea that this king Jesus has been born—that he's heard about. And what does Herod do when he gets threatened? He sets out to kill some people. The Herodian philosophy of wealth and power was strong. Um, he 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 brought that that idea to a lot of Jerusalem. In, in fact, in the temple. The, the, the most holy site in all of Jerusalem is the temple on, on the top of a hill there in the city. And at the temple, um, the Jews had built it according to the size and specifications that God had laid out, and you know, Solomon built the temple and all that. So there, there's this history of the temple. is a, a big deal. And, and King Herod comes along, and he wants to impress the Romans, and so he makes it bigger. He kicks out the walls a little bit. He doesn't touch the Holy of Holies, the most holy place inside the temple, because the the Jews would revolt if he touched that. But everything on the outside of the temple, he builds that thing out and makes it bigger, better, more impressive to impress his friends up in Rome. And in fact, because he wants to not be a threat to Caesar, he takes the Roman eagle, the symbol of Rome, and places it on the outside of the temple. So to the Jews who don't really like the Romans, this whole thing's very offensive. But, but it's powerful. It's, it's the Herodian culture. It is the way. It is bigger, better, more, powerful, impressive, nice to look at. You, you, you'd be very overwhelmed. And, it, and, it's, and it's weird. He, he makes the temple uh, bigger. And then years later, Jesus is going to walk into that very temple. And I wonder if when Jesus walks into that temple that Herod has expanded, I wonder if he walked in and said, this is bigger than I remember you telling you to build this weird. Well, I don't know that I like what you've done here, you know? Uh, and, and he sees what has happened in the culture where they've turned it into money changers and that kind of thing. They've, they've turned it into this bigger, impressive uh, money scheme, and, and he flips over tables in anger. You've probably heard that story um, because the, the Herodian culture has infected even the, the most religious people in, 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 in that culture. Um, so, for all the things that Herod did in the background of the Christmas story here and and who he was in the first century, um, we definitely get the impression God was not impressed with Herod. God was not impressed with what that little king was able to do um, and, and and that whole culture of money and power was not impressive to God. Um, God shows up differently and with a true kingdom and a true king who rules. People differently. Now, King Herod is long gone. Two thousand years ago, he's 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 dead. Uh, but I think the Herodian philosophy is still very much alive, even in our culture, and especially at Christmas. Um, when we when we buy into the fact that the best way to show love at Christmas is to go into debt for months to buy somebody something that they won't remember in a few months. Um, we are buying into this Herodian idea that bigger, better, more powerful, impressive, that is the way to, 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 to really win hearts and, and to show love. The, the story of Christmas actually is none of that stuff. It's a poor couple uh, gives birth to a, a, the savior of the world. And, and somehow Christmas, that, that story gets like supersized to this, like bigger and more lucrative story that's more impressive. Um, our empire that we live in now is is kind of Herodian. It is um, it is capitalism and consumerism. It's not all anti-spiritual. There's still uh, elements of the Jesus story woven through even a little bit of our secular narrative of Christmas. Um, but that is the empire that we're living in. The Herodian culture is. Um, is, is deep in, 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 in all of America, and it's I think, if we're honest, it's deep in our hearts too. It is very hard for us to not be impressed with bigger, better, more, with power, with money, with showiness, with flash, with uh, the, the, the things that money buys. We get very impressed with leather seats and, 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 a, and a newer, cooler phone. Um, and it's not demonic or bad to own things um, or even own some some nice things um, but when it becomes the place where we worship and we bow our knee when, it, when all of the purchasing of stuff and the accumulation of stuff when that becomes the story of Christmas for us instead of the Christ child who has come to earth as the Savior um, we're living in the wrong kingdom when that happens so the question is, um, how do we handle that? How do we handle Herod differently? How do we, how do, we do that at Christmas and not, um, not get sucked into it? To answer that, I want to look at a story that happens much later for Jesus. So he's born, Herod, well, Herod's eventually going to die, and Jesus is going to live on for years. And 33 years later, it's at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus goes back to Jerusalem, and he has an encounter with a guy named Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is Herod's son, one of the ones he didn't kill. Herod Antipas is now the ruler. So basically what happens is Jesus gets arrested in Jerusalem by the religious people. He's brought before a a, a Roman uh, governor who's in town named Pontius Pilate. Probably heard of him. Um, Either if you've read the the story or you've seen Jesus Christ Superstar, he has a really good song in there. Um, So Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pilate's like, I'm not going to deal with this. This is a local thing. And he kicks him over to a guy named Herod. Well, this is the Herod from Jesus' birth. This is his son, Herod Antipas. Now, interesting, if you're Herod Antipas and you grew up with Herod as your dad, I'm sure there's pros and cons to that. I doubt he was the best, most loving father since he had, you know, killed your siblings and all this. Like, that's a weird place to grow up. But I'm sure you heard about Jesus. You heard about this king, and it's causing kind of a fuss in your region up in Galilee area. There's a lot of people talking about this guy. And and you, and you hear about like the Jews in the temple and all that. They're frustrated with this guy. So there's a lot of hubbub around this guy named Jesus. And if you're here at Antipas, you've probably heard about it your entire life. You heard about what your dad tried to do when this guy was born and all this thing. So we have this encounter where Jesus is now going to stand before Herod's son. And I think there's something really instructive in the way Jesus talks to him, or or, or how they relate or what happens there. Let me read to you. Luke chapter 23, verses eight and nine. It says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. Now just picture this like a, if, if, if there's a movie script, like, this is the moment. This is, like, the climax here. All his life, these, these, maybe these, these guys are on, like, this collision course. Jesus es- escapes being killed by Herod, the, the father, and then Herod, the son, has this encounter with him at Jesus' death, or right before Jesus is killed. And it says he, he, gra- he greatly longed to see him. You, you can imagine Herod Antipas being like, oh, man, that guy's in town Oh, I gotta see this. And maybe he hopes that Jesus will like do a trick for him. Like, oh, I've heard you like can do cool stuff. Like, I heard there's this thing where you walked on water. We've got a little pond out back. Do you think maybe you could just show me? Okay, seriously though, Jesus, water into wine. I've got what just try it. I wanna see like. Herod wants, this is, this is an encounter that's a long time coming. Herod wants to have this conversation. Oh man, Jesus is here. Maybe Jesus will do a little dance for me. Maybe he'll do a little trick for me. Because I have the power here. I can set him free. He's in trouble right now. It looks bad for Jesus. I will set him free. But maybe I could just get him to do a little thing for me. Um, and there's this incredible drama where the real king of the world stands before the fraud king. And there's this, this, this showdown. And notice what happens. Again, verse 9. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. So here's this moment, and Herod's got his chance, and he speaks up to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say anything. That's weird, because Jesus knows he has to know that he's going to be killed this is the end these people are going to take your life they're going to have you crucified he knows this he's prayed to his heavenly father about it in the garden of gethsemane he knows what's coming and jesus could have easily flexed some muscle at that point he could have with his words overwhelmed herod he could have brought angels down to you know strike people down like jesus had a kingdom he had power Lots of things he could have done there. And instead, what he does is completely ignores Herod. He doesn't give him an answer. And I think there's something instructive in that for us. There's something about the spiritual discipline of ignoring, of, of disengaging, of seeing the thing out there and noticing it. You can't not see it. And there's something about seeing it all and going... Yeah, nope, I'm good here. I don't need to participate in that. I can ignore that. This is very different than seeing Christmas as it is celebrated in America and complaining that nobody wished you a Merry Christmas and they only said Happy Holidays. That's not it. This is different than, why are they taking the Christ out of Christmas? It's supposed to be about Jesus. Look, I get that. It is about Jesus. I just don't need America to decide that for me I don't need the culture to celebrate it the way I want to celebrate it Because here's the truth The culture is Herodian And Herod gonna Herod That's what they're gonna do And how much energy do I want to spend Saying Herod's too herod over there America's too this way in the way it celebrates Christmas I'm not trying to do it their way I didn't sign up for that. Yes, it's around me. I can't avoid it. I, it, you know, I'm going to rock around the Christmas tree. I'm going to hear, hear, you know, Bruce Springsteen kill that song he sings at Christmas that we all have to suffer through. I will hear George Michael one more time and Mariah Carey, and I will, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll experience it, and I'll go. But I'm not going to sit here and go, like, they're, they didn't put the Christ in Christmas, and why didn't they? Like, who cares? I I'm not in that kingdom. I mean I live here, but that's not what it's about. There's a discipline to ignoring it. When Herod stares you in the face and says, Do this little dance for me, do the trick, go into debt for this is what Herod will say to us at Christmas. There's this thing where we go, No, nah, I'm good. And we don't and we don't give an answer. I think ignoring Herod is something we have to learn to do if we are going to be followers of Jesus. We need to let the white noise of the malls and all the stuff, let it all fade into the background. So how do we do that in our culture? Let me just give you some quick things. Um, Because in our culture, I see ads too. I I get it. Um, I, I understand there's all that um, out there, but we have to be consumed by a different kingdom. We've got to disengage from the Herodian one around us and engage something differently. Um, Jesus, I don't think at any moment was tempted by Herod. There was no, you know... uh, Herod, with all his power, Jesus was never like. You know, that actually does sound pretty good. All your power, can I have some of that? Can I get in on that? Or maybe I could be impressive too. Or there was none of that. There was no temptation there, because he knew he was part of a different kingdom. He's he's like, I'm not blowing off my heavenly Father for this, for for your temporary power. Uh, like, I'm not I'm not doing it. So, how could we uh, ignore Herod at Christmas time? Um, I think here's the most easy, obvious one, and you're probably going to be like, oh, no, that's a, I don't want to do that, or that's a bad idea. Here, here it is. Um, spend less money. Okay? We're good. Thanks. Uh, um, no, spend less. Um, one of the best ways we can ignore Herod is, not, is by not buying all this stuff. Um, I, I actually, and, it, and it's weird in America, um, and we don't recognize this because you just grow up in it, But um, I actually heard on on NPR the other day, they were talking about um, Black Friday and um, the Christmas season and shopping and retail, and how a lot of that was actually driven post-World War II, and it was an intentional plan to get us to consume more during this season of the year. Uh, because w- it was a way to grow the GDP and, and like get our economy really humming again, is if we could get a lot of people to buy a lot of things at the end of the year, um, that would be a good, a good strategy. And, and so when you say don't do that, um, I mean, if, if, if money's tight, that sounds like a fine idea. I'm just going to spend less anyway because I have to. But something about it almost sounds unpatriotic. Like, yo, you got to, ha- I mean, Black Friday is companies, you know, like, you got to support local business, you got to help these, you know, they get out of debt, and this is, like, important, we need to all do our part, and um, man, there's like, there's like 70 plus years in this country of that idea, so it's, it's in the air we breathe that, that we have to spend a certain way and act a certain way around Christmas, um, and, and, and so what I'm asking is that you step back and notice that that's happening. Like, notice what's going on there. Notice the car commercials with with the snow and then the driveway, and there's a big red bow on a car. Does anybody do that? <laughs> do, you, do, do, do you put big bows on cars? Like, that's a big purchase. That's a lot of probably a lot of debt to take on for Christmas. You know, like, notice that. Notice the feeling you're supposed to have when you get those diamonds. The magic of it, the ice at Christmas, the every kiss begins with, right? Like it just, notice what Herodian culture is trying to get us to do. Um, we don't have to play along. Um, maybe decide, okay, not to say you won't get anything. I have kids too and I have family and friends and people and loved ones and I want to show them love and I want to gift give gifts and things like that, but maybe just to draw a line and go, yeah, here and no farther. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go crazy for this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe do this differently. I'm going to spend less. Um, and in addition to spending less, we have an opportunity to give more, which we'll talk about next week, give, give more to things that actually make a difference and that will matter uh, in, in a more long-term way. Every year at, at Advent season... As a church, we raise money, and we've been doing this since 2008, um, and we take a special offering, and uh, people in this church have, have been incredibly generous for over a decade of, of giving to support, uh, where we pool our resources together, and spending less at Christmas, but giving towards this thing. Um, this year, we're, we're partnering with an organization called RIP Medical Debt, and we are we thought in, in light of COVID and, and all the medical stuff that's been going on for the last couple of years, um, medical debt can crush people. And um, so we partnered with this organization that um, we raise money as, as a faith community here in December. We give it to them and they use it to pay off medical debt for the poorest of the poor, starting in the mid-Atlantic and going out from there. Um, And I was like, that is a cool thing. I'll I'll explain to you how it works. It's really cool how they do it. We'll talk about it next week. Um, But that is a chance to, um, in addition to spending less, that's a chance to give more to things that matter and to really make a difference in people's lives. And I think it'll be an awesome thing to be a part of. And so um, we'll, we'll have ways you can do that online all this month, all through December um, the way that we can spend less but actually give more and, and be generous and make a difference. Um, I think this is a great opportunity when we do this to teach our kids what the kingdom is really about, what kingdom we're really in and what it's about, and it's a good opportunity to remind ourselves what is this all about and, and why am I here. So um, next week we'll get very practical and talk about how we can give more this week. I just want to encourage you as you're thinking about and seeing when you go out and you see Herod do his thing in culture, uh, notice it, and 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 make a plan to spend less. Um, and, le- and let's see what good can be done. And let's see how we can truly celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Um, we live in a very strong culture, a very loud culture that screams at us to live a certain way, to believe certain things. Um, and God, we are discipled by that culture. We are discipled through our phones, through our our Netflix accounts, through our through our Facebook, through through Instagram. We are discipled into a way of being and thinking. Um, and we are formed by those things. And God, we take this season, at Advent, to push back on that and say, um, that's not the kingdom that we want to 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 advance. We we are trying to advance your kingdom, God. I thank you for uh, the example Jesus gives us in in ignoring Herod and ignoring and not taking the bait and not jumping on um, power and money the way Herod wants to make power and money happen. God, help us um, as we make very real, practical decisions in the next few weeks about how we spend our time and our money and our energy um, when we engage and when we disengage. uh, Help us to be um, very focused in that and very focused on the true kingdom so that we can celebrate Christmas differently here um, in, in, in this day and in this culture. Thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room, for their hearts for you, their desire to follow you. Uh, Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.